Okay, let's look at our scripture, John 66, 60 through 71, which can be found on the screen or it can be found in the bulletin on the back. Jesus has uh, talked uh, to the crowd about being the bread of life, and he is, and uh, we pick it up right after him finishing sharing about the fact that he is the bread of life. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, the Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The word of the Lord. Jesus has spoken to the crowd about being the bread of life, and that if anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. And the bread of life is his flesh. And it has offended the disciples. Now, when I'm speaking of the disciples, remember there were the 12 disciples, but there was a larger group of people that were following Jesus Christ. And this statement, this comment about being, this sermon about being the bread of life, about having to eat his flesh, has offended them to the point that many of them abandon Jesus Christ. They were disciples who were following him, and they have turned back. This represents a turning point in Jesus' ministry. And we have to ask the question, what's so offensive about what Jesus said that would cause many of his disciples to stop following him? The truth of the matter is, Jesus and what he says is offensive. That's the paradox of Jesus. You cannot remain neutral about him. He either draws you to himself or he pushes you away. We need to take a moment and examine ourselves. For many of us are disciples who are following Jesus Christ. Is what he is saying offending us as well? We can pass over the difficult passages of scripture and, and make Jesus into who we want him to be. But we need to follow Jesus and all of who he says he is. So my goal in this sermon either is to turn you away from Jesus or to lead you to embrace him with all your heart, for we must decide. You see, Jesus' cross is what gives us life. So we must place our hopes entirely on the cross of Jesus. We're going to look at three things. Number one, we're going to look at the offense. What is the offense that Jesus has given these disciples? It's the offense of the cross. That's point number one. Point number two, we're going to look at the reaction of the disciples, the larger body, how they respond to this offense, and then we're going to look at the reaction of the 12. So let's begin with point number one, the offense of the cross. 
In verse 60, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Jesus has been talking about being the living bread. These are some things that he said. He said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus also said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Finally, he said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What's Jesus saying with these statements? He's saying eternal life is found in me and in me alone. Now, he's not talking about literally eating Christ, but depending on him and him alone for salvation. See, these people had been taught that salvation, right, standing with God was by following the law. And Jesus is saying, you can no longer depend on anything else. Not the Jewish law, not your own efforts to be morally good, only Jesus. They say this is a hard saying. And the Greek there, it doesn't mean hard as in hard to understand. It means harsh and offensive. This is an offensive statement. And what is it that is offensive about it? Jesus is making himself out as the door. The only one who can grant salvation. Their only hope. See, in the law of Moses, there was a set of laws. And if they followed them, they could have salvation. It was incumbent on them, they thought, in terms of their own acts of righteousness, their own behavior. But Jesus is saying, that's not good enough. You're not good enough. You will never be good enough to merit approval in God's eyes. Jesus is saying your efforts fall far short of meeting God's requirements. They say this is a hard saying, an offensive saying. Who can, who can listen to it? In other words, who the heck are you, Jesus? What gives you the right to say that you are the only way to God? You are our only hope. Verse 61, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to him, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? In other words, if you're offended by what I just said, I'm really going to offend you. What does it mean here about ascending? In the book of John, whenever it talks about Jesus ascending or being lifted up, it's talking about his crucifixion. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, if you're offended now, wait until I'm crucified. You see, you want a king, a leader to defeat your enemies. But Jesus is saying the problem is not them. The problem is you. I have come to save your soul, and the only way I can do it is by dying a gruesome death on the cross. Why? Because you owe a debt to God that you cannot pay, and the only way it can be paid is if I get up on a cross and take the punishment that you owe. That is why they were offended, and that is why so many people today are offended at Jesus Christ. Because first of all, Jesus is saying you are accountable to someone other than yourself. There is a God who made you, and you belong to him. He made you to live a certain way, and you are accountable to him for how you live. 
And second, Jesus is saying what you have done, how you have lived is so bad. How you have rebelled against God is so bad that you can't fix it. You can't live better. You can't atone for your sins. You can't turn over a new leaf. You're stuck. Your only hope is in me, in the Son of God, dying to set you free. See, the truth of the matter is people don't want to believe that they're that bad. We don't want to believe that God doesn't accept us as we are, that we're not worthy of praise and glory and honor. If I walked out on the street and asked 10 people where they're going to go when they die, they're going to say, I'm going to go to heaven. And when I ask them why, they're all going to say, or almost all of them, because I am a good person. And Jesus says, you are not. There will be a judgment, but there is a way to escape judgment. Verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, Jesus is saying it is the Holy Spirit that gives life. Not the flesh, not your efforts. Your efforts cannot bring what you're looking for. They cannot bring life and peace and reconciliation with God. Jesus is saying, I am the one who has come to bring the Holy Spirit from God. And I am the only one that can give it to you. And you need it to live because without the spirit of God, you're dead in your sins. Jesus says, the words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. This is a powerful statement. What he's saying is through his word, through his words, by believing in them, by trusting in them, I can impart salvation and life to you. See, one cannot feed on Christ without feeding on Christ's words. For truly believing Jesus cannot be separated from truly believing Jesus' words. But if we do believe his words, we do believe his promises, they have the power to bring us from death to life. Jesus is saying, if you believe my word, then instead of rejecting me, you will see me as the bread from heaven the one who gives his flesh for the life of the world, the one who alone provides eternal life. And you will receive me and believe me and taste eternal life even now and enjoy the promise that I will raise you on the last day. I remember a couple of years ago, I had a, a friend of mine whose father had uh, taken ill. His kidneys were failing. Indeed, his kidneys had failed. He had lived a very hard life and his kidneys were no longer working. And if you don't know anything about kidneys, kidneys filter uh, the wastes out of your blood, and, and they're what make urine. Kidney disease means your kidneys are damaged and they can't filter the blood, and so your blood is building up poison and will ultimately kill you. Kill you. So his kidneys had failed and he was desperate. What he needed was a transplant, someone to donate a healthy kidney so that they could put it in his body and it could filter away the poison in, in his blood. I felt I, uh, that the Lord might be calling me to do this, so I had my blood tested to see if I might be a match. See, it can't just be anybody's kidney. Indeed, there are a variety of things that it has to be, and one of them is blood type. And as much as I wanted to help, 
I was not a match. I couldn't help him. See, only one blood type would work. Now, why do I share this analogy? It's because we have a spiritual condition. There's poison in our system, and it's called sin. And there's only one blood type that can fix it. There's only one that can filter away the consequences and the penalty and the punishment of sin, and it's Jesus Christ. He is the one that has the ability to filter out our sin and leave us holy and pure. So my friends, the flesh is no help at bringing life. Do we believe that? We want to think that we can create a paradise on earth by our own efforts. That if we just have more possessions, more accomplishments, better relationships, that we will have life. But they don't bring life. Only Jesus can bring life to our hearts. Only he can cleanse our hearts and filter out our sin and leave us holy and pure. You see, our only solution is the cross. So how do you see Jesus today? When you hear, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you, do you recoil or do you lean forward? For the message of the cross is foolishness, says the Bible, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, to embrace Jesus Christ, you must first realize that you are lost, that your sin really is that bad, that you do deserve death, that you are out of options, that no attempts to reform your life or bargain with God will succeed. And then you must see the cross for what it is, your only hope of rescue, a lifeline that God has thrown you that can accomplish all that you cannot. For you cannot separate Jesus from his cross. They're a package deal. In fact, Jesus is exactly to you what his cross is, either an offense to be avoided or salvation to be embraced. For Jesus' cross is what gives us life. So let us place our hopes entirely on the cross of Christ. This brings me to my second point, the reaction of the disciples, the larger group of disciples. Verse 64, but there are some of you who, did not, who do not believe. This larger group who was following Jesus had witnessed miracles. They'd heard his teaching. They were following but when push came to shove, they could not accept Jesus in this position. This is scary because they are called disciples, but they don't really believe. They don't really follow, and they think they do. So what really is a disciple? A disciple is not one who initially hears the word and accepts the word, but one who continues in the word. Jesus said in John 8, 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, in other words, if you hold on to it, continuing to believe it and to do it, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Holding on to Jesus' teaching means to keep following and all of it, not cherry picking what of it you want to create your own Jesus. 
See, something sparked in them to initially begin following Jesus, but that something was the wrong thing. Their initial faith was not genuine, and they were perhaps following Jesus only because of the physical benefits that he gave, such as healing and multiplying food. You know, Jesus said this would happen. Remember that parable of the sower where a farmer went out to sow his seed, Jesus said, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the air ate it and some fell on rock. And when it came up, it, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Jesus explains the parable of the sower. He says, those on the rock are those, the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no roots. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. You see, what those disciples really wanted, Jesus would not give. And what Jesus offered, they would not receive. Notice what Jesus says. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Now, this is amazing. Jesus already knew beforehand who among them did not believe. He knew the names of the people who would not believe, and he knew the names of the people who would believe. How did he know that? It's because he is God, and he knows his children. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. See, Jesus knows your name. Salvation is not some random guessing game where some people get lucky and figure out that Jesus is the Savior. That's why he says in verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. The people who are continued to believe and hold on to Jesus are doing so because the Father has drawn them. They would not believe otherwise. You see, if you are a Christian, long before you believed in Jesus Christ, the Father placed his mark on you and said, you are mine. Ephesians 1.4 says this, For God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Think about that. Before the creation of the world, Christian, God set his mark on you and predestined you to be one of his children, to be holy and blameless before him, to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. Notice verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many, that means a large part of this group that were following Jesus Christ, turned away. I wonder if the 12 were discouraged. I wonder if they said to Jesus, hey, you've got to tone it down here. This is a little bit strong. But Jesus was not discouraged. He knew. He came to save their souls, not win a popularity contest. Heard a story from someone in this church uh, it was uh, one of their nieces or their nephews. They had gotten married this fall. Uh, one of the nieces or nephews of this person in the church 
and a young person had gotten married in an extravagant, elaborate, uh, beautiful wedding. And uh, it was four months later. It's only been four months. And the bride has said, I don't want to be married. Heartbreaking, right? And you have to scratch your head and go, wait a second. Just four months ago, you stood in front of this crowd and said to have and to hold for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. How is it possible that this young lady is saying, I don't want to be married anymore? The answer is, she either didn't really understand what marriage was or chose to ignore it. When push came to shove, she didn't want for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. What's my point? My point is to make sure you know what you are saying when you say yes to Jesus. Because if you are saying yes to Jesus, you're saying to yes to Jesus as two things. Number one, you're saying yes to Jesus as your king. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, compared to following me, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying, if you want me, you must have me as first. The preeminent position in your life. You have a new master, a new king to watch over you, to protect you, one that you worship. Jesus is saying that you must say, I will follow him. What he says, I will do. Where he goes, I will go. Where he stays, I will stay. We must say yes to Jesus as our king. And we must also say yes to Jesus as our life. Jesus said to them in verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Saying yes to Jesus is saying that you are my life. You are the one that I look to for validation, for reconciliation with God, for salvation. You are my joy. You are my hope. You are my life, my meaning, and my purpose. If you are not prepared to say these things about Jesus, you are not a follower of Jesus. You're just fooling yourself. But if you are prepared to say these things and you are following Jesus, take heart. This is bigger than you. Your salvation is a gift of God, not by works. Long before you said yes to Jesus, he said yes to you. And he set his affection on you. And he rescued you on the cross. And because he set his heart on you, he will never let you go. So do not fear. Times may be tough in your life, but the Lord is with you and he's for you. And if God is with us, who can be against us? So continue in your faith, believer. Continue trusting in him. Continue looking to him to be your bread. Don't give up or he won't give up on you. Well, you may say to me, I'm not a Christian yet. How do I know that God has chosen me? My answer is you are here. 
hearing the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Trust in him for salvation. Stop doubting and believe. For Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus' cross is what gives us life. So place your hopes entirely on the cross of Christ. This brings me to my final point, the reaction of the 12, the 12 disciples. Jesus turns to them. Do you want to go away as well? He calls the question, if you will. Jesus has no fear in asking. Because the question is really asked for their sake more than his. They need to articulate a response more than he needs to hear it. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. To whom shall we go? The disciples said. Where are we going to go to find the approval of God and forgiveness for our sins? We can't go to the world. It gives no forgiveness. We can't go to ourselves. No amount of effort makes us right with God. We can't go to other people. They're in the same boat as we are. You have the words of eternal life. You have the answer. You hold the truth of where to find eternal life. He says, you are the Holy One of God. In other words, you're the one that God has set apart to do this, to bring salvation into life. It's in you, Jesus, that we find freedom from our sins, justification before God, peace and righteousness with God and holiness. And we can't go anywhere else to find that. See, the disciples, they drew their line in the sand. They're committed. And sometimes we need to do that as well. We need to say to Jesus, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. The most important thing you need to do is answer, to whom else will we go? Are you going somewhere else? Are you going to the world and asking it to fill you with unconditional love? You won't find it. Are you going to another person and asking them to fill the empty space in your heart? They cannot. Are you going to your job and saying, fulfill me? It will not. You will never have peace until you have peace with him. So say with the disciples, we believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Commit your way to Jesus Christ as the Holy One. Trust in him to make you right with God. And he will fill your heart with peace, with joy, with hope. He will bring you to the Father. For Jesus' cross is what gives us life. So place your hopes entirely on the cross of Christ. Let's pray. To whom else will we go? You, Jesus, have the words of life. And so, Jesus, we come to you. Feed us with your salvation. Let your life be our life. You are our king and our glory. Pray for anyone in this room 
that if they have not yet bowed their knee to Jesus Christ and trusted him with their life, that they would do so. For you are the one that brings back the dead and gives life to their souls. So we honor you and praise you and thank you for the indescribable gift that we have in Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.